0: We want to greet everyone on this lovely, beautiful Sabbath morning, and not only do we want to say hello, God bless every man, woman, boy, girl, infant, child, in the womb, out of the womb, in the loins of the fathers. We want to welcome the Israelites who are not with us. I speak now of Israelites living all across the hinterlands of America, the seed of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob covenant children descended from the twelve sons of Jacob, who became twelve tribes, nations, and millions and millions of people that filled up Australia, America, Canada, Europe, the British Isles, Scandinavia, and all over the world. So to all the Israelites, everywhere in America and across the nations of the western world, we are humbled To have you with us today, let us pray. God, our Father, thank you for this lovely, beautiful day that you have given us. We humbly thank you, Lord God, for the calling and election of a people before the foundation of the world that you chose in Christ before time, a people to live in time, be born into time, and to inherit eternal life and live after time. O oh Lord God, we are facing incredible opposition in our world today. And we plead in the name of Christ our Savior that you will bless the time that we spend together in God's house today for the everlasting praise of Christ our Savior. Amen and amen. In the Bible... In the book of Revelation, there are seven churches that are spoken of as pertaining to the seven churches of Asia, numbered in Revelation chapter number two and three. Those churches found in Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, in Pergamos, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea have many things in common. Some things that are not in common, but one theme they all share in common. Every last one of those churches had overcomers. Every one of those churches have a message to the overcomers. I pray today that everyone in this congregation is pledged in your own mind to be an overcomer. You will never be qualified to be an overcomer unless you have overcome adversity, trials, tribulations. Jesus himself said <clears throat> to his disciples, John 16 33, These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. That's a promise. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. This morning, as we continue to look at pulling down strongholds, the goal of this lesson is to prepare this congregation to be a wonderful host body to those who will come to celebrate Passover with us. Wouldn't it be marvelous and wonderful and joyful if the people coming here from north, south, east, and west would find a happy, uplifting, jubilant, energized, spiritually awakened, spiritually alive congregation to greet them when they get here. Now, these people are coming from north, south, east, and west. Many of them are weighted down with the cares of life. So they're coming here. And it's, it's a great, gigantic calling to be a host congregation. May God grant this congregation spiritual strength to make ourselves ready to be re, the, to be the receiving, receiving host of those who will come to find revival at Passover. If they arrive here, without finding a revived church. It's going to be a little bit sad, is it not? So if we're going to have a good Passover, let it begin here. If there's going to be a good Passover, then we need to shift gears and purpose that it will begin in our mind and our heart right here, right now. Not somewhere out in the future, but right here today, there ought to be a unified agreement among us all that our God has called Passover. It's His festival. And if, we'll, if we will do our part, then God Almighty will meet us, and we will have a tremendous celebration of the Passover, which celebrates the two greatest monumental events of Western Christian civilization, the crucifixion of Jesus. If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. So everyone is called to bear burdens in this world, to bear sacrifices, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice paid in all of history for the sin of His people. His resurrection from the dead divides time between before and after the death of Christ. Christ rose from the dead as the most significant event in the history of the world because no one in all of history had ever risen from the dead of their own volition, Lazarus was raised up from the dead, but he did not; he was not raised by uh, by his own volition. Only Jesus, of his own personal volition, said, "I lay down my life, and I take it up again." Praise be to the resurrection and the and the glorious. Crucifixion that preceded it. And with those thoughts in mind, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter number 10. God called and ordained St. Paul the Apostle to give to us the word of instruction on waging spiritual warfare. And there's no Christian, man or woman, boy or girl, who has named the name of Christ who is not called upon to wage spiritual warfare." Spiritual warfare is something that we all need to understand a little bit about. So we we break into Ephesians chapter 6 beginning at verse number 10. And this word of his instruction, now I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, this sounds like a command to me, Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally my brethren, be strong in the Lord God Almighty and in the power of His might. That's a command to be strong in Christ and in the power of His might. Not ours, not yours, but His. Put on the whole armor of God. That's a command. The whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand To stand means that you're not in retreat, you're not running, hiding, or in retreat from the adversities of life in this world. But you're greeting those adversities, not in your own wisdom, power, and strength, but in the power of Christ, our Savior, who grants us the armor to withstand. Put on the whole armor of God that you may able, be able to stand. And what are we called to stand against? Now watch carefully what God's Word says. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now what, are, what, what how would you describe the wiles of the devil? Well, if you research that word, it would indicate that Satan has a lot of weapons in his arsenal. Now Satan is an adversary. He's powerful, but he's limited. He is an angel that was once at the top of the hierarchy of angels. Satan was once in charge of the angels. He lost that estate because of rebellion, was cast out of the heavens, And took one-third of all the angels with him when he left heaven and left the goodness and grace of God and lost his position. But he continues to war in this world. Now you'll remember that in Genesis 6, there were the sons of God that came down and married the daughters of Adam. Those were some of the angels that left their first estate. And they came down and they took wives of the children of Adam. And from that union, there were some unholy giants called the Nephilim, who when they died, their spirits lived on. The spirits of the Nephilim, to the best of our ability to know, and it's limited, granted, but the spirits of the dead Nephilim live on in the world we call demons, devils, and seducing spirits. You and I would be very, very, very naive if we did not recognize what Scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Would you read that verse with me? Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we have just read a verse that's very brief, but it comprehends the idea of the entire hierarchy of angels. When Satan left heaven, he has ne- no ability to create anything, but he's the greatest counterfeiter in the world. He counterfeited God's hierarchy of angels... So he took all the angels that followed him and he placed them in a hierarchy based upon the order that they are assigned to. In Daniel chapter number 10, we have evidence of some of those angels in very high places that wrestled and that waged a warfare against Michael another archangel of God who is called the guardian angel of Israel. The idea that there are cosmic forces outside of this world is a little strange to some people, and they do not know exactly how to deal with this. But you and I know that if the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, Against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, against all of these various hierarchical orders, we are in a battle. It is my humble opinion that America has now, as a country, been delivered into a powerful stronghold of evil. It would seem to me that we live in a country now that has been seized by a satanic stronghold. As we move into this lesson today, we see in verse 12 that we are wrestling not with flesh and blood. In verse 13, we're given We are given specific orders of how you and I function against this invisible army of demons, seducing spirits, evil darkness, and so forth. So let's read together, beginning at verse number 13. I'm in Ephesians chapter 6. Correction, yes, chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. Read with me out loud. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now notice, the call is to stand, not not run, not retreat. Stand. Stand, verse 14. Stand therefore, having your lorns good about with truth. Now the truth is... Armor number one. Truth is how we bring down and fight against strongholds. Truth. And then having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is the righteousness that is reckoned unto us by faith in Christ when we accept Him as our Savior. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. As we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, beautiful verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God, God our Father, hath made Him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Our righteousness has been reckoned to us by the blood of Christ. That calls us to be a holy people, to to live in an effort to make all things right with God, and to the best of our ability to live moral, spiritual lives that bring glory and holiness to God Himself the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 15, a Roman soldier wore special sandals with cleats, shoes that would not give ground. When a soldier is in combat, his feet were firmly planted rooted and grounded by the shoes he wore. Christians are called to be grounded, planted firmly, so they will not retreat nor give ground to the enemy. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked." Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By yet the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God. By faith, Enoch was translated. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, by faith, Abraham was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance. Faith is a mighty shield that is intended to fight against demons, evil spirits. When you, with your human voice, will say what Jesus said when you hear something you know is wrong. Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God. God has given you a voice to speak against evil and to put down evil thoughts and statements. Take the helmet of salvation The Helmet of Salvation is the protective gear that covers your head, and it covers the mind. Your mind is a battleground, and it's the fertile soil through which spiritual warfare travels. Forcing you to sort out all the thoughts that come into your mind. More on that in a moment. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's armor point number six. And finally, the primary weapon. Hear this now. The primary weapon of waging spiritual warfare. Praying always with all prayer. And supplication in the Spirit, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints." There is no substitute for prayer, beloved. Prayer is a mighty weapon, and through prayer, in the name of Jesus Christ, we can come against demons, seducing spirits. We come against every form of adversity, that's poised against the name and the kingdom of Christ our Savior. So those are thoughts that I want to leave with you. Now as we move into this lesson today, I'd like to remind the congregation that spiritual warfare is fought and waged in two centers of your being. You have a mind where the will is located the soul is your mind your will and your emotional state your head is where the heart will follow the heart is where subjection correction subjective thought is resting you You really feel what's in the heart. This is where your emotional investment in what you believe is found. The head is the objective part of who you are. It is the recipient of all the ideas and so forth that come into your mind. Now... What the Bible teaches us about the mind, now that's my mind, and it's yours. I'm going to read from Romans 8, verses 6 and 7. Romans 8, 6 and 7, 4, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Do you know that our minds are at war with God in the carnal state of our being? Until we believe, are baptized, and are given the gifts of the Holy Spirit, our minds are alienated. Colossians 1.21 Alienated from the mind of Christ by wicked works, which all Christians have participated in before their conversion." So the mind has to be subjected to the Word of God and to the power of the Holy Spirit. Now what does the Bible say about the heart? Now typically you hear someone say, I know in my heart it's true. I know in my heart this is is what I must do. We have to be careful. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's Jeremiah 17, 9. The Bible tells us in the words of Psalm 28, 26, the Bible tells us, that he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. So the goal in waging spiritual warfare is to bring our mind and our heart into unison to the authority of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. I will will purpose to bring my mind and my heart into union that if it's contrary to the Bible, if it's contrary to truth, then I do not accept it. It's part of the wickedness of this world. So we need to remember that. Now, we spent a lot of time last week in 2 Corinthians ten three and 4. What did we read in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, and 4? Do you want to turn there for a moment? And what did we read? For though we walk in the flesh, hello, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. If you're going to wage spiritual warfare, people, you will not wage it in the flesh. You're going to be waging that warfare in the spirit realm. Because your adversary is coming to you in the spirit world. Your adversaries are not going to come to you in physical bodies. They're going to come to you in negative thoughts in thoughts that are contrary to the Word of God, thoughts that are contrary to truth. Those will be the adversaries that we face. So verse 4 says, the weapons of our our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. When we use the weapons God has given us, they become mighty. Mighty. What were those weapons? Truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Faith, and all the other qualities of our armor all the other portions and parts of our army. Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I'd like you to think about a stronghold again. Ask yourselves, what is a stronghold that becomes so strong that it holds a mind captive? A stronghold becomes a fortress, a citadel, a place where those inside the stronghold will not let anyone on the outside in, and they don't want anyone inside the stronghold to come on the outside. When a person is under the captive nature of a stronghold and you try to help them, they will make you the villain and they will make you think that they are the victim when you wage spiritual warfare people you have to be fully armed the armor of god because it is a real battle so i'd like you to think of a stronghold in three ways now they the story is told and it's alleged that in the city of Corinth, on a very prominent hill, there was a very substantial fortress, something like a castle, and within that fortress there were three primary parts to the fortress. First of all, it was surrounded by walls, so a stronghold has walls. And what are the walls? Verse number five tells us. Casting down imaginations. The walls are the imaginations that fill our minds that are contrary to the Word of God. We suggested last week That every day, Job offered up offerings to his children. He offered up offerings for the benefit of his children in case they had sinned. So every day, Job woke woke up and said, Well, my children may sin today, so I better go offer some offerings. My children may, may have lost it today, so I better go cover their sin. Every day, he programmed his mind to believe that his children were going to fail him. Every day, read it in your own Bible, Job chapter number 1. Every day, Job continually offered offerings for the sin of his children. Now, you'll notice what the Bible says that eventually happened to Job. What he continually imagined. Vain imaginations. Job imagined that his children were going to go into spiritual corruption. They were going to sin, somehow they were not going to be survivors. So if you notice what we read last week, Job did this continually. You would have to look at Job 1.5, but Job did this continually. He fed his mind with vain imaginations, contrary to the truth. How did he know his children were going to sin? But he continually imagined that they would. So we come to verse 325. Job says, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. And that's the danger of letting your mind become the fertile soil for imaginations of fear. I fear this. I believe this is going to happen. I have this feeling that I'm going to suffer this, that, or the other. No. You're a child of God, and adversity may come, but you will be an overcomer. So the walls of a stronghold become the lies that are originating in imaginations. Now, where do you think your imaginations that are contrary to the Word of God, where do they come from? Well, they certainly do not come from God. So they either have to come out of a carnal mind, or a heart that is not steadfast in Christ, or they come from the words of other people that you associate with, what they tell you and what you hear from them. But the walls of a stronghold are the lies that are raised up in your mind To begin the building of a stronghold. And notice down in verse 5, that also every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. I'm in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. Now what are the ideas that exalt themselves in a stronghold? the exaggerations that are exalted above the knowledge and truth of god become the exalted part of your mind these lies that are built as the wall of a stronghold some of those lies will be exa- will be exaggerated and they will be exaggerated until they become like a tower rising up to control you. Those are the, that, we'll call that the tower of the, of the stronghold. The exaggerated lies. Now, we all know from our studies that Satan was the first liar. He's called the father of lies. He's labeled the father of lies. Jesus called him the father of lies. He lied to Eve in the garden, and he's been lying ever since. And the garden of Eden is being played out in the lives of people over and over again every day casting down imaginations, that's what we're called to do. We're to take the imaginations that come into our mind, the fears, the fears. My husband is not going to be faithful. My wife is not a faithful wife. All the fears, imaginations, those are lies And forbid, God forbid, that any of those lies become so exaggerated that they rise up like a tower in your life to dominate how you think and act around other people. And then bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every one of us have minds that are full of thoughts. Sometimes those thoughts will be positive and good, and sometimes they will not be positive, and they will not be good. So when a thought comes into our mind that is contrary to the Word of God, and contrary to truth, and contrary to the power of the Holy Spirit residing within us, we reject that thought We do not cultivate that thought. We do not build upon that thought. We get rid of that thought. How do you get rid of it? How about quoting a verse of Scripture? How about quoting from the Bible? That's a good way to get rid of a bad thought. Now, what happens, people, to the thoughts that are not rejected? when we entertain a vain imagination, a fear that's non-existent, when we exaggerate a lie that's been fed into our mind, or when we allow thoughts to take charge of our mind, we are captive to those thoughts. A stronghold is where someone has allowed the lies of Satan and other people, adversarial people, or they have exaggerated those lies, or they are captive to the thoughts of their mind, and they have no ability to get out of the stronghold that they build around themselves. And when you try to get inside that stronghold, They are going to resist you with all the power they have because they're going to make you the victim of their trouble. They want to be looked upon as the victim. They want you to be the villain. So they imagine themselves to be, to having been victimized by everybody. You are engaged in spiritual warfare when you try to bring someone out of a stronghold that they have built. Now, in a a real fortress or a castle, they have a place where they hold captive those forces that they want to be held there that cannot get away. A person who is subjected to a stronghold will be subject to the thoughts that they think to a point where they are enslaved by their own thoughts the church of israel is against me nobody likes me i sit there in a pew and nobody will speak to me that person is locked up in a stronghold And God wants us to be victorious, overcoming Christian people. God wants you to be a positive, overcoming force in your home, in your marriage, among your children. What I would like to do, church, is to have you remember that a stronghold has walls, the lies of the vain imaginations. It has exaggerated thoughts. That are the high tower. These are the exaggerated thoughts that are exalted above the knowledge of God and His Word. And they are the captive place that hold us captive to the thoughts we think. Walls, towers, and captive thoughts. So let's, let's look at something. A stronghold is anything that traps you and holds you from being what God wants you to be. So I encourage you to think of it this way. Satan, his minions, your own sin nature and the world about you would like you to know that there are certain ways that they can trap you. Let me give you some ideas about how to be trapped into a stronghold. This is how easy it is to have a stronghold start the process of building Itself into your life. Let's start with fear. Fear is yielding to the real or the imagined possibility of danger, even death, rather than trusting in God. Fear is trusting, fear is trusting your inability to know how something is going to be dealt with. So fear replaces faith for someone who is about to see a stronghold gather around him. Now the Bible tells us this in Exodus 31, verse 6. This is what God says to ancient Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid. For I, the Lord God, am with thee. I will go with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. That's what God says. But fear says, Oh my goodness. Look what's happening. Look what's going look, look to happen. God says, For God is not God is not the source of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind," 2 Timothy 1.7. The United States of America was, was led right into a stronghold in March 2020. Fear and panic seize this nation. Fear and panic, vain imaginations. This country was told that millions would die from a contagious epidemic, a plague, of man-made virus, Corona, COVID-19 virus. Those lies became a wall around America. You know this to be true. Tens of millions of people were frozen with fear. They feared they might die. They were rendered helpless by the walls that began to appear. They took many of those lies and they exaggerated them to a point where people literally believed Every word that came out of the mouth of the false prophet, Anthony Fauci. Every word that false prophet spoke, millions listened every day to this false prophet who exaggerated the lies that were building as walls around America. So a high tower rose up in this country. That became the citadel through which all America was ruled. The CDC, the WHO and the health departments of this country rule this nation. Our elected officials stood by and surrendered the country to non-appointed, non-elected health authorities. We watched a stronghold take place in America, and this nation is still under and still in a stronghold. The walls begin to be built March 2020. The tower rose up as these lies were exaggerated. And the thoughts of millions and millions of Americans became locked in fear. I've got to wear a mask. I've got to practice social distancing. I've got to do everything in the world that the, th- the health authorities tell me. And then, gradually, that was transferred to giving up their liberties under the United States Constitution. So today we remain in a stronghold in this country. There's no question in my mind that Satan has a primary angel that stands over this country in this high tower that is ruling America today. And the resi- the poor forces that are resisting are being denounced by the national media. All the sane voices. All the people that refused the injection. All the people that said no to the mask. All the people that said no to social distancing. All the people that said no, we will not close down God's house. Those are the voices being persecuted by those that are ruling from the tower of this stronghold in America today. So America is a nation in, 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 in danger of remaining in a stronghold until those who are outside the walls of this stronghold are willing to go to the weapons of warfare in order to bring down the stronghold. So when millions of Americans are willing to submit themselves to the weapons that are mighty unto God to pulling down down strongholds, God can bring this stronghold down. What is one of the ways that Satan can trap you in a stronghold? It's called anger. What is anger? Anger is aggression that is perceived against some injustice that you believe someone has done to you that will cause you to explode with anger and your anger can become rage. It can, come, it can be elevated to rage and even wrath. Now this, this anger is often expressed in a way that hurts everybody around them. And everyone that is in the sound of their anger is impacted by it. An angry spirit replaces the peace that God promises. What does God promise a Christian? We are promised in Galatians 5, and 23 Love and joy and peace. Love and joy and peace have no place for uncontrolled anger. We're not saying that anger is not a healthy expression. There are times when we have legitimate anger. But we're talking about controlling our anger so that we do not use it to say things that are hurtful, and words that cannot be recalled, that cut deeply into the heart of those who hear them. So we know that Satan can use anger to entrap us. Or he can use rejection. The idea of being rejected or abandoned will instill instill feelings of worthlessness. That you have no self-worth. I'm a loser. I'm having trouble making my wife happy. I don't really want to go to, to my workplace. My children are unruly. No wonder I'm worthless. No. Rejection is a denial. Rejection is a denial of the fact that you were made in the image and after the likeness of God, and God has a calling upon your life. Don't listen to the lies, the vain imaginations that come into your mind, and allow them to become a stronghold by and through rejection. So what does the Bible say about anger? Here's what the Bible says about anger. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be ye angry. Okay, so we've got it. We can be angry. Be ye angry, but sin not. So there's a fine line between being angry and when anger becomes sinful. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't close your eyes at night when you have wounded someone through anger. Make that correction. Another trap that Satan will use to build a stronghold is depression. So what is depression? Depression is being overwhelmed with sadness and despair, to the point of utter hopelessness. You have no zest for life. You even despair of life and wish that death might overtake you. Depression is the replacement for the joy of your salvation and knowing that nothing can separate you from the love of God. What can separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, we are more than conquerors through Christ that loved us. Where is there room for depression in those thoughts? Here's a wonderful antidote for depression. This is a powerful prescription. And I know a lady that took this prescription and was able to overcome depression when all kinds of psychiatric medications failed her. It's found in the Bible. She repeated these words out loud. One or more times every day. And here's what she said Philippians 4, beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say, rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. The word careful could be anxious. I'm in Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think, T-H-I-N-K, think on these things. Don't let your mind Feast on negative ideas, vain imaginations and lies, exaggerated lies that become thoughts that hold you captive. Now beloved, we have not come to the end of this lesson, but we've come as far as we're going to go. So my encouragement to this congregation is this. Think about your life now, and if there's any possibility that you have been trapped into a stronghold by imaginations, lies that have been fed into your mind, either by your own carnal Thinking or by others, lies that have been exaggerated, thoughts that hold you captive, bring down the stronghold, truth, the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Let's have a great Passover 2023, and let's be a victorious, overcoming, God-fearing, Bible-believing body of people. Let's be standing.